Isaiah 38, these are God's words. In those days Hezekiah was sick and near death, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, went to him and said to him, Thus says Yahweh, Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to Yahweh and said, Remember now, O Yahweh, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And the word of Yahweh came to Isaiah, saying, Go and tell Hezekiah, Thus says Yahweh, God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears. Surely I will add to your days fifteen years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And this is the sign to you from Yahweh, that Yahweh will do this thing which he has spoken. Behold, I will bring the shadow on the sundial which has gone down with the sun on the sundial of Ahaz ten degrees backward. So the sun returned ten degrees on the dial by which it had gone down. This is the writing of Hezekiah, king of Judah, when he had been sick and had recovered from his sickness. I said, In the prime of my life I shall go to the gates of Sheol. I am deprived of the remainder of my years. I said, I shall not see Yah, Yahweh in the land of the living. I shall observe man no more among the inhabitants of the world. My lifespan is gone, taken from me, like a shepherd's tent. I have cut off my life like a weaver. He cuts off me off from the loom. From day until night you make an end of me. I have considered until morning like a lion, so he breaks all my bones. From day until night you make an end of me like a crane or a swallow. So I chattered, I mourned like a dove. My eyes fail from looking upward. Oh, Yahweh, I am oppressed. Undertake for me. What shall I say? He has both spoken to me, and he himself has done it. I shall walk carefully all my years in the bitterness of my soul. O Lord, by these things men live, and in all these things is the life of my spirit, so you will restore me and make me live indeed. It was for my own peace that I had great bitterness, but you have lovingly delivered my soul from the pit of corruption, for you have cast all my sins behind your back. For Sheol cannot thank you, death cannot praise you, those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your truth. The living, the living man, he shall praise you, as I do this day. The Father shall make known your truth to the children. Yahweh was ready to save me. Therefore, we will sing my songs with stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of Yahweh. Now Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and apply it as a poultice on the boil, and he shall recover. And Hezekiah had said, what is the sign that I shall go up to the house of Yahweh? So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. Hezekiah is sick and near death, and uh, verse 17 lets us know the reason for this, if not uh, specifically, at least generally, when he says, For you have cast all my sins behind your back. Hezekiah knows that this uh, nearness uh, to death, uh, in which uh, perhaps he has already been praying uh, that he might not die, that this is for his sin. 
Now, this is uh, true, generally speaking. All of us die for our sin in our first father, Adam, and for our uh, both original sinfulness and actual transgressions uh, in our own life. The wages of sin is death. We do not die now, if you're a believer, as uh, a judgment, but still as a consequence uh, of your sin. Uh, and so when the prophet comes and says to him, Thus says Yahweh, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. We understand in part by Hezekiah's response in verse uh, 17 when he is writing and reflecting upon it, uh, that it was uh, due to some sin and perhaps some specific sin. But notice that verse 17 just says, All my sins. It is a mercy of God and his providence when uh, he lays us low, uh, some terrible uh, injury or uh, illness or perhaps some economic catastrophe, some great difficulty uh, to make us consider again that we are sinners before him and deserve no better. Uh, And yet the cause of this Uh, sickness and nearness to death in verse 1 is not the purpose of the illness. We can see what the purpose is because of what comes to pass in God's mercy and God's grace. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to Yahweh. That is, he engaged not the Lord through his prophet who was before him, but he turns and he engages the Lord directly. There is a turning of the face to the wall that is a sullen temper tantrum that happens a couple times in scripture. But he was not turning to be all up in his own feelings as the present colloquialism goes and is actually very useful for for, uh, explaining what turning to the wall sometimes is. But here he was directing his attention away from others not to be into himself, but to address his Lord He turned his face toward the wall and prayed to Yahweh, or to use another colloquialism that we might caution ourselves to use only with due reverence. He got alone with God. I think often when people use that about themselves or to others, you need to get alone with God. Uh, They are not uh, thinking and speaking with the due reverence, and so we must be careful not to use buzzwords or phrases uh, in a way that by repetition or commonness of use uh, turn into a common or profane way of speaking about God. But he turns his face to the wall and prays to Yahweh. Uh, And so already we see the providence of the Lord in his life and the word that the Lord sent by the Uh, Isaiah, who is as his mouth to Hezekiah, taking their effect, turning uh, Hezekiah's attention uh, directly and fully to the Lord and throwing him upon God's grace uh, in verse 3 and restoring him uh, to repentance, uh, as we'll find in verse 15. So turning him upon God's grace. If we read verse 3 in a fleshly way, And this is one of the reasons why we pray for God the Holy Spirit to help us when we read his word and 
Uh, help me when I preach, and help us when we sit under preaching, so that we will not read a fle- in a fleshly way. If we read verse 3 in a fleshly way, we will read this as Hezekiah telling God that he has earned better from God. Similar with Nehemiah, asking the Lord to remember uh, what he has done, and many times in the Psalms, which teach us to uh, ask God to deal with us according to our uprightness. Uh, and that last is really helpful because the Psalms in particular, we know that we sing in union with Christ. But it's not just in a union with Christ in which, uh, where, in which Christ's walking before God in faithfulness and, uh, in emmet and with a chesed heart, uh, in verse three. And you can hear the character of God there in, um, in Hezekiah's description of his walking, it's not just that Christ's walking is counted for us as our walking, but also that if we have come to bear some resemblance to God in the character of our walking, obviously not perfectly, and certainly not meritoriously, although genuinely, it has been by God's grace. And so what, uh, what Hezekiah is saying is, remember me, according to the grace in which you have produced a character like your own, O Lord. Behold the the fruit of your work in me and do to me, not according to what I deserve, all those sins in verse 17 that I'm asking to have cast behind your back and that God does here cast behind uh, his back, as it were. Uh, but don't do to me according to what I deserve. Do to me according to your character. Do to me according to your character, which has been demonstrated already by some gracious work in my life. And we know that the Spirit teaches us to think that way, not just from the Psalms, as we've been saying, but even from that wonderful verse in Romans 8, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Not because we could say, see how I have loved you, God, you owe me better than this. But because the loving of God comes not from the sinner, but from God who has given the effectual calling in the sinner's heart by God's sovereign grace, by God's power, according to God's loving electing plan, the called according to his purpose. And so... Uh, this, both the, the illness and the nearness to death, uh, on the one hand, and then on the other hand, uh, the Lord addressing him by his word with a hard word, set your house in order for you shall die and not live, uh, was sent to Hezekiah, not in order to kill him, but in order to turn him uh, to this attending upon God in verse 2. And this laying hold of grace in verse 3, and purposing for repentance that we'll see later in verse 15. And so we should, we should learn from this. First, not only, like we said before, to take uh, difficulty as an opportunity to consider remaining sin, confess it before God, remember what we deserve. Mm-hmm. But second, especially to identify the, um, the character of God in his gracious work already in our lives. Now there's grieving and weeping here uh, because sickness and death are 
uh, actual griefs and sorrows that continue in this age. The bitterness that is described in uh, verse 15 and verse uh, 17 is read in here by our translators. It just says, and has weeping Hezekiah wept, or weeping he wept Hezekiah. The uh, pouring into weeping, but notice it's not a weeping of feeling sorry for himself. It's a weeping of expressing before God the greatness of his sorrow unto the Lord. How do we know? Because when God answers him in verse 5, he says, not only I have heard your prayer, but I have seen your tears. It is sweet to us, or it sweetens grief when we have someone else to mourn with us, to grieve with us, mourn with those who mourn. Or we can uh, take our heavy weeping and uh, embrace someone and weep almost into them and with them. How much more when we can take that to God himself and not weep by ourselves. Don't ever grieve alone. Not even if you are humanly alone. Because humans are not the only ones. They're not even the primary ones that there are. And so we have the praying to the Lord and the weeping to the Lord. And so the Lord sends his prophet in verse 4. Uh, and he says, go and tell Hezekiah and notice what the Lord does. He answers according to his own character. Thus says Yahweh. Common introduction to prophetic word. We see it also in verse 1. Thus says Yahweh. But now he adds in order to bring out the covenantal uh, aspect of the covenant name, the God of David, your father, not just Yahweh, your God. Although surely uh, Hezekiah had prayed in faith to the Lord, and Yahweh is his God. But the Lord is reminding him that there is a covenant here that Hezekiah has been brought into that is greater than he is. In fact, it's greater than David is. When he says, Yahweh, the God of David, your father, he is using covenantal form. He is using language that reminds uh, that affirms direct attention to the promise, the covenant promise that was made to David of the son of David who would come. And so he's, he's saying here, thus says Yahweh, your God in Christ. Now Christ hasn't come yet. The blood of the new covenant hasn't been spilled yet, but we can hear at the table every week, can't we? Can't we? When we hear uh, the servant of Christ announcing in Christ's name, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And we can know that the God who has joined us to himself, not just in ourselves, but in his covenant of grace, not just even in David, but in Jesus Christ himself, that this God hears our prayers. He sees our tears. He intends everything for our good. Uh, it is this knowledge of the character of God and the covenant of God that enables Hezekiah to see in retrospect when he writes this psalm for the public worship of Israel. Indeed, it was for my own peace, or indeed for peace I had great bitterness. <clears throat> so that we can see the Lord turning us back to himself to rest upon him in Christ. And so Hezekiah is given 
15 more years on earth. 15 years that he remembers now what he's supposed to do with them. He's supposed to spend them praising God. He's supposed to spend spend them especially coming to and leading the public worship of God or participating in as the king of Israel, <coughs> not the priest who uh, presides over and mediates the worship, but certainly uh, as far as the state goes, being worshiper in, uh, in chief of the nation, not just commander uh, in chief. Uh, he remembers his purpose in life. He's going to do this for 15 years, and then what's he going to do? He's going to do it forever. Uh, and yet he remembers what the point of life is and what those who are alive on the earth are to do, especially since uh, if praise for God is going to rise from the earth, those who have departed from the earth are not going to be able to be the ones who do it. And so this is why uh, the Lord gives him the 15 years, and the Lord even promises to continue the deliverance that we saw in chapter 37. Uh, he promises to continue that deliverance now in verse 6. Now, verse 21 is probably spoken uh, at the time of the promises in verses 5 and 6. When Isaiah had said, let them take a lump of figs and apply it as a poultice on the boil, and he shall recover. And verse 22 definitely comes before verse 7. Hezekiah had said, What is the sign that I shall go up to the house of Yahweh? And verse 7 is the answer. This is the sign from Yahweh that Yahweh will do this thing which he has spoken. In fact, there is a more extended conversation that takes place in Second Kings 20, verses 8 through 11. Uh, there we find out that uh, there is actually a conversation in which the initial uh, sign that was offered was for the sundial to move forward. And Hezekiah said, well, that's too easy. Let the sundial move backward. Uh, and the Lord, in his mercy, uh, condescends to such uh, a bold and, we might even say, impudent uh, response. And he changes it to moving the sundial backward. Uh, but here we have the focus entirely upon uh, the mercy of God and the conversation uh, is removed. Uh, this is the sign to you from Yahweh that Yahweh will do this thing. What thing? The thing that will enable, look at verse 22, Hezekiah to keep going up to the house of Yahweh, to keep attending to that temple, uh, which is an image uh, of Christ. So the Lord spares Hezekiah, and Hezekiah realizes that the reason he's been spared is so that he can worship, and the reason that he is spared has been especially so that he can participate in the public worship. And that's exactly what we have then from verses 9 through 20. We have a psalm that he writes for the public worship for when he is recovered and able to return to the house of Yahweh. You see, at the end of the psalm, in verse 20, he gives it a wonderful title, Yahweh Who Saves Me, uh, is the name of the psalm. And he says, therefore, we will sing my songs with stringed instruments all the days of our life in the house of Yahweh. And so you hear how uh, he emphasizes uh, how the great thing in our life in this world as the redeemed of God, as those whom Yahweh has saved, 
is to gather in the public worship uh, of God and sing the scriptures, not incidentally just the 150, uh, as uh, as Hezekiah makes clear, this psalm is for we, for us, to sing in the house of Yahweh. Uh, and as he writes the psalm, he gives us a window into several of the things that made the providence of his sickness and being near death uh, so difficult for him. One was the timing, verse 10, in the prime of my life, I am deprived of the remainder of of my years. Another is the deprivation, not just deprived of the remainder of uh, his years, but deprived of that unique experience of God as those who receive his goodness and praise his glory, even in this land, the land of those who live on the earth. Yes, when we depart for, uh, from this place, we will continue to see his goodness and praise his glory. But this is our one chance to do it as partially sanctified, redeemed sinners in a world that is bound to corruption and decay, that God may be trusted and clung to, depended upon, delighted in, and praised even in this world. This is our last chance to do that. And that can totally transform how you think about sickness and death and trouble and need because we're never going to get to praise him in sickness. We're never going to get to praise him facing death. We're never going to get to praise him in trouble. We are never going to get to praise him in need in eternity because all of those things will have been done. And so here is this land of the living in which those for whom God is enough and more than enough, despite all of the other things, can gather together and call upon his covenant name, uh, which he even highlights by giving half of it first uh, and then the second half later. I said, I shall not see Yah, Yahweh, in the land of the living. I shall observe man no more among the inhabitants of the world. And so he's not going to have this experience anymore of looking around him and seeing all of these needy and still sinful uh, and having all of these weaknesses and difficulties and troubles, all of these men praising Yahweh together in the land of the living. There is a, there is a great privilege uh, in the worship that we have, Lord's Day by Lord's Day now, that yes, we are going to be so grateful and rejoice to enter glory and be in that company of the souls of the just made perfect, as Hebrews 12 says. But there is a limited time blessing uh, that is precious not for the greatness of it as much as for the limitedness of it, limited time of it, and the greatness of God in it that he is still enough for us and that he stoops down to join himself to such as we are. doesn't wait until he has perfected us by some, some work that he does at a distance, but that even now in our present condition, he has joined himself to us. How great is the grace and the mercy of God. Uh, and so um, the greatness of the difficulty was first the timing of it, he felt too young, verse 10, that greatest part of life of which he would be deprived, verse 11, uh, and then the personal and chastening nature of the, of the providence, personal and judicial nature of the providence, verse 12 and 13, uh, the fact that it is God himself 
who is doing this like a lion, uh, breaking all his bones, keeping him up all night uh, so that he stresses over it until morning. First part of verse 13, uh, and is, is uh, uh, making wordless kind of uh, sounds. First part of verse 14, uh, grieving, moaning like a dove. Second part uh, of verse 14, praying when it feels uh, like it's not making a difference and you start to lose your physical capacity to do so. My eyes fail uh, upward. Uh, next part uh, of verse 14. Doing these things to God and uh, in uh, in fellowship with God, but then at the end, he's running out of even ability to pray, even ability to grieve. He cries out for God to take over for him. But then there's this break between verse 14 and verse 15 in which he uh, assures with doctrine and perhaps it comes uh, this is the point at which in the the poetic retelling of the song that Isaiah had come uh, with the uh, the word of promise uh, to him uh, but God has spoken to me God has done it I shall walk carefully all my years in the bitterness of my soul. In other words, the Lord has shown me in this experience of bitterness how I should always respond to my bitterness. Uh, and you, we already mentioned how he picks up on that language in verse 17. Indeed, for peace I had uh, great bitterness. And he confesses that it is by the Lord that men live, and so for the Lord uh, that men should live by the Lord, that men live, verse 16, and for the praise of the Lord, uh, that men live, verse 18. And not only would he would he praise the Lord and as anyone who is living should, the living, the living man, he shall praise you. Uh, there's a form of praise that God has ordained to receive from this world that only those in this world can give. And that as they do so, they are not only to do so for themselves, but look at the end of verse 19. The uh, worship in the assembly is one of the primary ways that fathers teach their children that God is faithful and that this is what we live for, is to praise him together. How blessed is the child whose father wants him always to be at public worship, whose father wants himself always to be at public worship whenever it is available and wants his child to be with him in public worship whenever it is available. So that not only by what the father says to the child, but what by, but, by what the father does alongside of the child, does the child live, th learn, this is why we are alive in this world, is to praise God, and especially to praise him in an assembly, an assembly that would continue until the one day that child is the father, and he is making known the faithfulness of God to his children, and one generation tells the next. So what a wonderful mercy from God this sickness and near death turned out to be in Hezekiah's life as the Lord addressed it, addressed him in the midst of it by his word, turned Hezekiah's attention to the Lord himself in prayer, made Hezekiah to lay hold of that grace that had so far been done, reminded Hezekiah of his purpose in life, and renewed his resolve to do so. Uh, and that is the last thing whenever we have trouble. And the Lord brings us out of it, whether a little one or a big one. 
that we would come out with renewed resolve to live for our purpose, to live for the praise of God. Amen. May the Lord help you, my dear children, not to have no trouble in your life, but may his spirit and his word, uh, by his word, produce in you uh, these good fruits that may come from the trouble in your life. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, how we thank you for this chapter in Isaiah, and particularly this chapter, as it were, in Hezekiah's life. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us. We confess that we often do not do well uh, with our uh, easy times, uh, which is why we need the trouble in the first place and your mercy to us, that we might have peace through bitterness. But Lord, we even don't do well many times with our difficult times. And so we pray that your spirit who wrote this and your spirit who has helped us just now in considering it would be with us to help us in times of trouble, producing the fruit of this truth in our lives. Make us to remember it. Make us to remember you. Make us to live for your praise. Make us to walk with you. Make us to enjoy the evidence of your grace, even in the godliness of our life that comes from the Lord Jesus, and makes us to uh, appear to be your children uh, as you have made us. Uh, make us, O oh Lord, to live according to your uh, instruction in this portion of your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.